0: Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource, that it may be a blessing. All right, grab a Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, and if you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 4. As we continue making our way through this first and foundational book of the Bible, uh, we've seen how everything in God's originally perfect creation was ruined as Adam and Eve uh, rebelled against the Lord in the Garden of Eden. And last week we read about how sin continued to spread through the story of Cain and Abel and in the life of Lamech. And in the midst of that we saw uh, that this, this was the beginning of what Genesis 3 referred to as the seed or the descendants of the woman, meaning those who would uh, take God's side in the spiritual conflict between salvation and judgment, and the seed or the descendants of the serpent meaning those who would take Satan's side in that conflict. And after Abel was killed by Cain, the Lord blessed Adam and Eve with a second son, or a third son, named Seth. Uh, and we saw that his lineage would include those who were in a right relationship with the Lord by faith, and that it would be through them that God brings His promised salvation to fulfillment. And now this morning, we're going to trace that lineage of Seth Uh, all the way down to a significant turning point in the story and in human history, for that matter. So we're in Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to begin with verse 1. It says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. And so as we move into chapter 5, we see that phrase that I talked about a couple of weeks ago referring to the generations, And I mentioned that that phrase is used to divide the major sections of the story of Genesis. And so uh, what we see here in the the book of the generations of Adam uh, is the, the beginning of the third major section of the story. And specifically what we have here in this book is a written record of Adam's descendants. And you see that it begins, once again, at the very beginning. Because if you want to understand what happens after Adam, And you have to understand what happened before him. In verses 1 and 2, we're reminded that God created mankind as male and female to be living representatives of him as they exercised dominion over the rest of creation. That was their purpose, and a purpose that was sabotaged when they chose to rebel against the Lord in the garden. But then in verse 3, Moses records that when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness and image and named him Seth. And so this gives us an interesting reference point here. Everything that we have read so far from the time of creation through Adam and Eve's fall to the birth of Cain and Abel to Cain killing Abel to the birth of Seth happened over a period of 130 years. And that may or may not be a sermon review trivia question at our next Super Bowl party. But we see that Adam was made in God's image and likeness and now Seth is made in Adam's. And what that means is that Seth is like Adam. He bears the image of God, but that image of God has been distorted because of Adam's sin. And so now Seth is born with a naturally sinful heart. And then verse 4 tells us that after Seth was born, Adam lived another 800 years and died at the ripe old age of 930, and that he had other sons and daughters. And so you may remember last week when we mentioned that Adam and Eve had other children besides just Cain, Abel, and Seth, but the text chooses to focus specifically on the people who are relevant to the story. So we see that more clearly here. And moving forward, as we saw last week, Seth was the father of Enosh, uh, although here we see that he was 105 years old when that happened. And then Seth lived for another 807 years before he died, totaling 912. Now, if you're still awake, which we've just started, so I assume that most of you are, Uh, I I assume that I know what you're thinking. You're asking yourself, what is up with these crazy lifespans? Do you really expect me to believe that people live for multiple hundreds of years? Uh, It probably won't surprise you, there are many people who argue that this is not possible, and so they come up with all kinds of different explanations for what these numbers mean, if they mean anything at all. Uh, But it probably won't surprise you also to to know that I want to argue that we can believe what the Bible says, even if it's radically different from what we experience in our own lives. And so for starters, I would just like to say that Moses is not dumb, right? Moses recognizes that people don't live this long. We were out at, at Kuntz, the airport in Kuntz yesterday for the kid flights, and we were standing in line when this little girl behind us was telling us about the first time she flew, and how they went 900 miles into the sky. And I kid you not, as soon as she said it, I thought to myself, Luke's going to say something. And no sooner had I thought that when Luke said, um, you can't actually go 900 miles into the sky, you would die. Right? So right, right on target. And so if you've got some kind of statistical nonsense, don't try to get it past Luke Hood because he will catch it and he will call you on it every single time. But friends, in a similar way, I would say this is also true of Moses. Moses knows that people don't live this long. He himself only lived to be 120. And not only that, but he knows that his readers know that people don't actually live this long. And so I think it's unreasonable for us to suspect That he's trying to pull the wool over his reader's eyes in some way, or that he has any ulterior motive other than recording the truth. In other words, what I'm saying is that from a rhetorical perspective, the outlandishness of these claims actually provides them with a certain degree of credibility, because it would make absolutely no sense for Moses to write in this way unless he believed that this is actually true. And so, beyond that, there are at least a couple of possible explanations of how these ancient people could have lived this long. First of all, many people have pointed out that a global flood that matches the description of what we're gonna find next week when we get into chapter six, would have a cataclysmic effect on the earth. So so that the environment of the earth on the other side would be very different than it had been before. And when we get to the other side of the flood, we're going to see that recorded lifespans gradually decrease, until they finally settle in somewhere between 70 and 90 years. And so the first possibility is that the original environment of the earth was conducive to long lifespans in a way that it is not anymore. Then secondly, you you may remember last week talking about Cain's wife being one of his sisters. I mentioned the theory that the the biological effects of sin were, were still so minimal that it allowed for that practice because genetic abnormalities had not developed yet. And so uh, the physical impacts of sin are are not yet operating at full force, and so the theory goes that in the early post-fall generations, this allowed people to live much longer than we do today. Sin is, is something like a disease that started small and has increased over time. And so for either or both of these reasons, I would suggest that we can take Moses at his word when he records these lifespans. And at any rate, we see in verse 9 that Enosh has a son named Kenan, along with other sons and daughters, and that he dies at the age of 905. Now we're going to look at how things continue after Kenan as we pick up again, beginning in verse 12. It says, when Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. And Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. And so picking up in verse 12, Kenan has a son named Mahalalel, who has a son named Jared, who has a son named Enoch. And I think that Enoch is the most important person, uh, the more, certainly most interesting person in this genealogy for a number of reasons. First of all, Enoch stands out here because he is not listed as having lived. Right? If you, every other person in this list lived for a certain number of years, but verse 22 says that Enoch walked with God. As we've seen before, the the word walk is an often used metaphor in the Bible to refer to the way that we live our lives. And and so to walk with God means that Enoch's life was characterized by devotion to the Lord. Uh, He has an exceptionally close relationship with God. And we don't get any specific details here, Uh, But it it seems to be implied in this phrase that Enoch truly loved the Lord, that he communed with God, and that he lived in joyful obedience to him. And so last week we saw in verse 26 that around the time of Enoch's birth, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And I mentioned that that could refer to the act of prayer, or it could be a shorthand way of referring to worship, or that it could even uh, refer to declaring a message about the Lord. And it would appear that all three of those meanings are at play with Enoch. Enoch prayed, he worshipped, and in the New Testament, in the letter of Jude, we find that Enoch was a prophet who warned the wicked people of his generation about the judgment that was coming against their sin and blasphemy. And so Enoch walked with God. Secondly, Enoch stands out here because he is not listed as having died. Every other person in this list And this genealogy ends with the phrase, and he died. But for Enoch, it says, and he was not, for God took him. Which seems to indicate that Enoch escaped the process of natural death and the Lord simply transported him out of this world and into heaven. Now, obviously, some people object that that expression does not necessarily mean that Enoch did not die. Saying that God took him is actually just another way of saying that he did die. But the clear pattern throughout this genealogy is to state that every single person died except for Enoch, and that seems to be a very strange difference if there really was no difference. Actually, this seems very similar to how the prophet Elijah was taken from the earth by a chariot of fire in 2 Kings chapter 2. But even more importantly and decisively, Hebrews 11 makes it clear that Enoch did not die. When it says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. and So Enoch did not die. He was here and then he wasn't. And then third, Enoch stands out because at the age of only 365 years, he was still relatively young, at least comparatively speaking, when God took him. And his his lifespan is, is basically a third of everybody else that's listed in this genealogy. And I really don't know necessarily what to make of that, other than to say that perhaps as a reward for his faithfulness, the Lord delivered Enoch out of the difficulties and the sufferings of this life much faster than he did anyone else. But for a number of reasons, Enoch's life stands out from from everyone else around him in this genealogy. And now we'll complete the list as we finish the chapter beginning in verse 25. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So in verse 21, we saw that Enoch fathered Methuselah. And as we begin to finish this passage, we see that Methuselah fathered a son named Lamech, not to be confused with with Enoch's, or with, uh, Cain's wicked uh, descendant Lamech, who we read about last week. And we find the answer to another popular Bible trivia question, who was the oldest person who ever lived in the Bible? And that is Methuselah, who went on another 782 years to clock in a total of 969 And then in verse 29, we get a very interesting detail in that Lamech names his son Noah. So the name Noah means rest. And Lamech names him this, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Now this statement obviously refers back to to the curse that the Lord pronounced on the physical earth back in Genesis chapter 3 as a result of Adam and Eve's sin. From now on, mankind's work will be difficult and frustrating. It also refers to the Lord's promise that a descendant of the woman will eventually defeat the serpent and make all things right again. Now, if you do the math, going all the way back to verse 3, then you'll see that it is possible that Adam lived long enough to have known his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, who would be Lamech. Now, whether it happened or not, depending on where everybody is at this particular point in history, we don't know, but at least in theory, it's possible that Lamech could have known and talked to Adam and had a firsthand account of what it was like to be in the Garden of Eden when everything was still perfect and how God had promised that eventually one of the descendants of the woman would would defeat the serpent and make all things new. Again, whether that happened or not, we don't know, but for some reason, Lamech names his son Noah in hopes that he will be the one to accomplish that salvation, reverse the curse, and bring relief to God's people. And then in verse 31, we see that when Noah was 500 years old, he fathered three sons named Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so Noah was more than twice as old as anybody else in this genealogy when he had his sons. And unlike anyone else in this list, all of his sons are named. And that's because Noah and his whole family are going to become the focus of the story when we come back again in chapter 6 next week. And so in our passage this morning, we see the genealogical record from Adam all the way down to Noah and his sons. And the main purpose of this genealogy is to get us from Genesis chapter 4 to Genesis chapter 6. Okay, the, from the time when the chosen line of the seed of the woman is identified in Seth all the way to the next major episode in salvation history, which begins in Genesis 6. Right, so this, this genealogy bridges that gap, and it does so in a way that moves us quickly so that we can focus on the details that are most important. Right, the time span in this genealogy adds up to over 1,600 years, And I have no doubt that lots of interesting things happened during that period. But Moses' focus is on how God's promised salvation is going to be achieved through all the ins and outs of human history. And so this genealogy allows us to fast forward, in a manner of speaking, acknowledging everything else that happened, but without getting bogged down with tons of unnecessary details. Now, having said that, Uh, there are still some nuggets of truth for us to consider as we reflect on what we see here. First of all, this genealogy should seem somewhat familiar, at least if you've been with us for some time, because in Luke chapter 3 we find this exact genealogy, although it's in reverse order there. This is the genealogy of Jesus, at at least the, the beginning of it anyway, because Jesus is where this list is leading to. Jesus is the descendant of Eve who's going to bring relief to God's people and make all things new. In this genealogy, we see the tension between the curse and God's promise. The human race continues on through Seth's lineage and through Cain's as well. But everybody also dies as a consistent testimony to the curse. Now, even Enoch, if you think about it, uh, even though he did not experience physical death, nevertheless came to a point where his earthly life was finished. He's not here anymore. The Lord took him to be with him. And so uh, death and the the curse are in tension with God's promises. But the good news that we find in the New Testament is that Jesus has finally overpowered death and, and the curse through his own life, death, and resurrection. Right, we remember in Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, that Peter proclaims, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Church, Jesus has defeated. Death. The, the promised one has come. And now he calls us to respond to this message by believing it and, and by trusting in, in what Jesus has done to save us through his life, death, and resurrection to deliver us from sin and its consequences. And those who do will find that their names have been written in another list, recorded on, on what the Apostle John refers to as the Lamb's Book of of life, the, the spiritual genealogy that we find in the book of Revelation of all those who have been delivered from the curse through faith in Jesus. I would just say to you this morning, friends, if your hope, if your plan is to go to heaven when you die for any reason other than what Jesus has done for you, and I plead with you to reconsider that this morning, because there is only one way to be saved, and it's through faith in Christ. And then finally, I want to give a plug for ordinary faithfulness in our own lives. You know, we love to read about the heroes of the Bible, but the reality is that God usually works out his purpose in the world through ordinary, everyday faithfulness. Just normal people who love and obey him. I mean, who was Kenan? I don't know. What about Mahalalel? No idea. Jared. I got nothing. All right, we don't know anything about these people except for the fact that they were there and that they played their part in the progressing outworking of God's plan and that apart from them, we would not be here. So here's the deal. A hundred years from now, nobody is going to have any idea of who I am or who I was. And they're probably not going to know who you were either. We, like these people, will simply be names on a list somewhere. And yet if we invest the the time and the resources we've been given in life for the purposes of the kingdom and for the cause of the Great Commission, then even after we are long gone, the impact that the Lord makes through us will live on and into eternity. You know, everyone thinks about Billy Graham, but nobody thinks about the Sunday school teacher who picked him up every week to take him to Sunday school so that Billy Graham could hear the gospel. And nobody ever thinks of it that way. And that the truth is that, that we don't have to change the world to change the world. And so, live your life for the glory of God. Seek to understand, believe, and obey the Bible in every way. Share the gospel with the people that God places in your life. Invest your time and your resources in the, in the cause of the kingdom and in gospel ministry. Do everything you do so that other people can see the hope that is only found in Jesus. And church, if we do that, then a hundred years from now, people may have no idea who we are, but we may be surprised at how much God accomplishes through our simple faithfulness. And so this morning, may we be found in the record of God's people, and may we live our lives so that others can be found there as well. Let's pray together. Lord, as always, we are grateful for your word. Father, we thank you this morning, even for passages of Scripture that often get a bad rap as being boring or unnecessary. And as we read the genealogy from Adam to Noah and his sons, uh, I thank you for the examples of people like Enoch who walked with you and and had an incredible uh, life testimony. I also thank you for those who are just names on the page, who did their part quietly and simply moved the ball downfield. I pray that, Lord, you would give all of us this morning Uh, a fresh desire to make our lives count for your kingdom and for your glory. And so as we take time to respond to your word this morning, I pray that your spirit would lead us in that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.